I have a, a thought on my mind that uh, I guess the subject that I want to preach to you about is, is aptitude, attitude, and altitude. Aptitude, attitude, and altitude. And I've heard it said before that your attitude and not your aptitude determines your altitude in life. Now, I think there's a better way to put that, and, and this is what I believe is a better way to say that, is that your attitude about your aptitude will determine your altitude or how high you rise in your service to the Lord. And what, what, what do you do? What do we do when we face giants in our lives? What, what, do, you, what do you do when uh, a giant of a problem, an uh, obstacle comes up in life? And think about the giants that we have faced over the past year or more, both in the political world and in the, in the area of the pandemic and in just in general, in our world today, in the country that we live in particularly, there's a lot of giants that we face. There's a lot of problems that are in our way. And, and the answer to that, I, I, I want to I, I use a couple of examples tonight. I, I want to use a couple of examples of how to face your giants, how to face giants in your life. One is found in Numbers chapter 13, the other is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and y'all probably guessed that last one. <laughs> but the answer to it, I believe, is, is aptitude, attitude, and altitude, okay? Understanding the relationship there. So the first thing I want to look at is, let's go back to Numbers chapter 13, and I want us to look at the time in the wanderings or the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt where they first came to the land of Canaan and they first approached the borders of that land that God called the promised land that he had promised to give them and and they were going to inhabit it they were going to possess that land and we start out reading in Numbers 13 that God said to Moses, you need to send some men out there to search out the land, which tells me something important, and that is that we do indeed need to take assessment of our circumstances from time to time. Uh, God, God, you know, some people would say, oh, well, it doesn't matter what, I'm just going to be completely ignorant of what's going on around me, and I'm just going to bull on ahead like a bull in a channel shop. I'm going to just go forward because I know the Lord will just do whatever it takes. Now, that's a good, I understand, there is a, that is faith. I get that. There's a place that we ought to engage in our faith where we, we disregard the circumstances perhaps, and we go forward because God told us to, but we are never to be ignorant of our circumstances and the world around us. If you go to college, for instance, you young folks, and you're ignorant of the fact that when you go over there, there are some of these uh, wild ideas that are going to be impressed upon you that are totally unbiblical, it, you're going to be shocked and you're not going to be expecting that. You need to know what you're facing. But the problem with, with, with that is, is that we run into often is that when we, when we look into the, the, the obstacles, when we look into the circumstances, we are intimidated by them and we tend to be like these Israelites that you're going to see that we just kind of quietly back down and think there's nothing we can do. You know, sometimes isn't that the way we feel? What in the world can I do? What, you know, there was a time when Jesus was 
preaching on the hillsides of Judea, and uh, and there was a great multitude there, some five thousand, and and I forget which gospel it's in, which which gospel carries this particular uh, verse, but uh, uh, but in in one of the gospel accounts of this, uh, they they bring a young boy that uh, they, they had five loaves and two fishes, and the disciples say, but what are these among so many? What are these among so many? Sometimes I ask myself that. What am I among so many? What am I amongst uh, facing so many problems? But remember, it's your attitude about your aptitude that determines your altitude, (laughs) how far you go in life. Now, your aptitude is just your capability. It's your own abilities. It's it's what you have uh, in in your particular situation that you can use. You know, some people have an aptitude for math. I don't. My wife is a very good mathematician. Uh, Math is just not a place that... Math and I don't get along, okay? Uh, that's why I'm not an accountant today. My son, Austin, is an accountant because he, he, he gets along with math. He has an aptitude for that, you know? Um, I, I, some people have an aptitude for mechanics. Some have an aptitude for rocket science. Some have an aptitude for uh, literary pursuits. Uh, and so there's some things you have that others don't have. I have particular things that I'm better at than others, and I have particular weapons at my disposal, if you will. And that's, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about your aptitude. Now, the question then becomes, what is your attitude toward your aptitude, toward your abilities? Now, I want you to look with me now as after the... After these uh, spies went into the land and they came back after 40 days of wandering through that land, looking at the various aspects of it and doing what God said to do, they came back. And then in verse, in verse 30, a man called Caleb said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. But now look, look in verse 31, what these other men said, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, And so we were in their sight. You see, they had a totally different attitude about their aptitude. They had a totally different view of their own abilities as they stood there and looked into the place God called the promised land. And I want you to notice this. They saw as a dangerous land, the land that God had called the promised land. God had said, this is the promised land. This is the place flowing with milk and honey. But when they saw it, instead of the promised land, they saw a scary land. They saw a dangerous land, a place that they say in verse 32, that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. (laughs) My goodness. What a difference in a view. What a difference in, in the way they looked at it as opposed to the way God looked at it. And listen, everything, it, it wasn't like they went in there and found something different than what God had said. God had promised them that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, that there would be cities there, there would be walled cities, there would be vineyards, there would be places that they had not planted, that they would possess, they had been cities that they had not built, that they would dwell in. And look back at verse 23. 
It says they came to one place called Eshcol. And in verse 23, it says they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. Brother Mason and I went out to a place called Madeira, California a few years ago. And I was preaching at the Madeira church there. And that's a sweet little place. It's right in the center of that central valley of California where all the farming that goes on is, 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 is very hot. And without irrigation, it would be very dry. But they've learned how to harness the water and they irrigate that place. And it's just a lush garden. And it's the place that California provides. I think it's something like 80% of the veg- vegetables that we eat come from that place out there. And right across the road from the Madeira church was a vineyard, a great, it it was, I'd never seen a true vineyard. I'd seen some muscadine vines and some scuppernon vines, but I'd never seen any grape vines. And this was a true vineyard. And there were some beautiful grapes on there. There was, it was really a neat place. And some of them were little, some of them were bigger. But I tell you, beloved, even in that vineyard or any other vineyard I saw when I was out there, I never saw a cluster of grapes that had to be carried between two men on a staff. Listen to this. They, they, they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a staff. It was so big, that one cluster of grapes, that they had to, they had to get two men to carry a stick and to tie it in there between them. It was so heavy, one man couldn't manage it. God promised them it would be a place like that. And then when they first began to speak after they returned from searching out the land, down in verse 27, uh, when they started telling them what it was like, they said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. They're saying, look, they brought some pomegranates. They brought brought this big cluster of grapes. And and they said, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's just like what God said it would be. It's just, it wasn't a problem with God making a mistake. It wasn't that they went in there and said, you know, I know God said this was a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, but all we saw was desert. We didn't see anything really special about it. We might as well go back to Egypt. That's not what they said. That wasn't the problem. There was no problem with the land. And there was no problem with God's prediction about what the land would be like. But the problem was with their view of the land, but more particularly their view of themselves. Because you see, they saw themselves as incapable and insignificant. Now, let me just stop here just for a minute and make sure you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It is not our aptitude alone within ourselves that gives us any hope in life. It's not our self-sufficiency that's important, but it's our sufficiency in ourselves when God is with us. See, that's the key to it. And what they did was they said, here, look at verse 33 again. It says, there we saw the giants. See, they were facing some giants in that land. They came up against a giant of a problem. They saw literal giants, the sons of Anak. And I'll tell you, beloved, we're going to read about David and Goliath, another giant. Goliath was a descendant of these of Anak. He was a descendant of some of these here because he lives in the place where these sons of Anak live, a place called Gath and a few other cities. But that was where the sons of Anak dwelt. But it says, we saw there the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And listen to this. And we were in our own side as grasshoppers. And so we were in their side. Are you a grasshopper Christian? I'm sorry to say sometimes I've been a grasshopper Christian. 
Because I tell you, when I look at my own self through the eyes that the world gives me, then I look around and say, there's not much I can do in this situation. There's just not much I can do about the problems that lie in front of me. You see, they had the wrong attitude about their aptitude. They had the wrong view of their capabilities. They did not see God as the rock that he is. They did not see God as the help that he is. On over in Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter. It's so, such a good summation of the history of the children of Israel. But over in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and let's just begin reading in verse 12. And, and this, is a, this is a very good summation of what happened here. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 12, it said, he said, so the Lord alone did lead him. He's speaking of Jacob and, and Jacob in this sense is, is representative of the, all the children of Israel. So the Lord alone did lead him and there was no strange God with him. And he's talking about here the blessings that he's given to Jacob, that given to Israel. He made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might in, eat the increase of the fields. He made him to, to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and the rams of the breed of Bashan of goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. He's saying here, I have blessed you in every way that I told you I would bless you. But notice what happened. But Jeshurun waxed fat. That's another name for the children of Israel there. Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. In other words, they got prosperous and they forgot God because it says, Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. In other words, he began to look at himself and to say, this is all I need. And that, now here's the double problem, by the way. And this is not what I want to really am preaching about tonight. But uh, see, the other problem with not looking at yourself through the eyes of God, uh, on the one hand, you can be like these grasshopper Christians that we're talking about tonight. But on the other hand, you can be lifted up in pride like the Pharisee. You can say, well, everything's going well with me. I tell you what, I've got these big barns. I'm going to tear them down and build bigger because I've done all that's necessary to take care of things. And, and I'm going to take my ease. Soul, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, thou fool, to that kind of attitude. But you see, it goes on just to skip down verse 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. See, they were looking in the wrong way. And, and the proof of that is in Numbers chapter 14, as we continue reading there, after this re evil report was brought up to them, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. My, oh, my, how quickly, quickly we forget the bondage that is all there is for us in Egypt. How quickly we forget that. But you see, they were, they had the wrong attitude about their capabilities, their aptitude. 
and had already forgotten about all the things God had done for them at the Red Sea with Pharaoh, overturned his army and destroyed him in the sea. Now that's, that's one example of what happens, what can happen when you face a giant. Now, for the remainder of the time, I want us to look over at another example, a better example. David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we learn a very important lesson. And beloved, that's really the lesson that I want to hopefully leave with you tonight. And that's just this. God expects us to do what we can where we are with what we have. He expects us to do what we can where we are with what we have. He doesn't expect us to exceed our abilities. He simply expects us to use our abilities in our service to Him. You see, God, sometimes I look around me at these, at these marvelously blessed preachers. And I think to myself, I just... I just wish I could preach like Brother Buddy, you know. I wish I could pastor like Brother Tim. I wish I could, I wish I could be like Lonnie Mazingo or Ricky Harcrow or some of these great, awesome preachers that are out there. But, you know, God didn't give me their gift. But God doesn't expect us to exceed our abilities. He simply expects us to use the abilities that we have to serve Him where we are, to do what we can with what we have where we are. You see, David came down. You know the story. I don't want to belabor it too much because I don't want to use too much of our time. I think you all know the story of David and Goliath. David was a little shepherd boy who was tending to his father's sheep. And his, his brothers, All of, he was the youngest son of eight sons. And all of his older brothers had gone to fight in the battle, in the war against the Philistines under King Saul. And of course, David, being a young man, probably 16 or 17 years old, like any young man, was itching, I'm sure, to go see the battle. He wanted to go down there to where the action was. And eventually, I, I don't know what's transpired between him and his father, but his father said, okay, you can go take them this food and take these supplies to them and go down there and check and see how they're doing. So he took off and he did that. And when he got down there, the Israelites were encamped on one one cliff, if you will, on, on one side of this valley called the Valley of Elah. And the Philistines were encamped on the other side of this Valley of Elah. And down into the valley every day for so many days, and I forget how the number, but it had been many days, marched a real literal giant. Now you think we're facing giants in a figurative sense. They were facing giants in a literal sense. He was about 10 feet tall. He could just, he could just stand flat-footed and dunk the basketball, you know. He didn't have to jump at all, you know. So uh, this man called Goliath was coming down, and he was challenging the armies of the living God. And indeed, he was challenging the living God. He was cursing their God. And this champion came down to them and, and was, was challenging them every day and said, You fight me. You send one person out to fight me. And whoever wins, that's who wins the battle. That's who wins the war. And of course, Saul, who was the only semi-giant among them, he stood head and shoulders above, above all the rest. Rather than doing his kingly duty and going down there and fighting this giant himself, he was staying in his tent while all of his soldiers were quaking in their armor. They're afraid, terrified of this giant that came down. 
inner David, the little shepherd boy, remember, the little 16, 17, 18-year-old. I don't know exactly how old he was, but he was young. He was not a soldier. He was not of royalty. He had been ordained and chosen by God to be the king of Israel, but he he hadn't come into his prime yet. He wasn't in any kind of king school, you know. He was just a shepherd boy. And he came down there and he saw what was happening. And this least of the sons of Jesse, who was not even worthy of a shout out by his father when Samuel came to choose a king. They didn't even call him in when Samuel came and said, show me your sons. They just said, well, it can't be David. He's just too insignificant. He's out there with the sheep anyway. Let's just leave him. Wasn't even worthy of a mention. Samuel had to bring it up. God had to tell Samuel and Samuel had to bring it up. And of course, you know the rest of that story. David, who is this young shepherd boy, comes down there and sees this and says, hey, I'll do something about it. I'll take care of it. Now, let's let's talk about that just for a minute. Remember what I said? It's your attitude about your aptitude that determines your altitude. Think about David's aptitude. Shepherd boy. Young teenager. No experience in fighting giants. No experience in sword play. Compared to, Dave, to Goliath, David was probably at the most half his size. But now think about this, my friends. God didn't expect David to grow six feet right. on the day of the battle. That's right. Now, you would think to fight a giant, you would need a giant, right? But God wasn't a giant. God was a little shepherd. Um, David wasn't a giant, sorry. David wasn't a giant. David was a little shepherd boy. He was short compared to Goliath. But God didn't expect him to grow six feet on the day of the battle. He just expected him to do what he could with what he had where he was. Notice something else about this. God didn't expect David to take up sword fighting on the day of the battle with Goliath. Did he? (laughs) You know, David had some training, but it sure wasn't in sword fighting. I don't want to get too far off track here, but let me just ask you a question. Think about this. Where was it that David began to prepare for the battle with Goliath? It wasn't out there when Saul started putting his armor on him and gave him his sword and put his helmet on him and all that. And he, it says he, it said he tried to go and he couldn't even move. You know where he began to prepare for the battle? It was out there on the hillsides of Bethlehem. Herding, shepherding his father's smelly old sheep. (laughs) And you see, he was faithful in those small things of life that God had had given him to do. That he had, you know, the 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 admonition, the the commandment to honor your father applied to David. He was a great king. You think, oh, the law doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. He was a great king, going to be a great king, but he was his father's son and he obeyed his father. He went out on that hillside and he didn't leave those sheep. You notice, I don't have time to get into all this, but read it sometime and you'll find out that even when Jesse said, David, go see your brothers, he left the sheep with a keeper. He He paid attention to details. And you know, 
there came a lion and a bear that tried to steal some of the sheep. Now that's the point where if Chris McCoo were out there as a 15 or 16 year old, I'd look at that lion or that bear and I'd go running home to daddy and say, daddy, daddy, a lion and a bear came and daddy would probably say, son, I'm so glad you didn't try to fight him. I'm so glad you come on in here. We'll get a, we'll get a, we'll get a posse up to go and try to kill that thing. But not David. David, see, didn't, he didn't shirk his duty. You know, but I mean, it would have been justified in my mind. I don't want my sons out there trying to single-handedly with no weapons kill a bear, you know. But he knew that was his duty. And he went and he did his duty on that hillside in Bethlehem. And that's the place he was preparing, unbeknownst to him, to eventually fight a giant. Beloved, I want to tell you, in your lives, everybody wants to fight a giant. I love fighting giants. It's awesome, isn't it, to win a battle with a giant. He slew a giant, you know. He's an amazing Christian. Boy, he's a super Christian. Look what he's done. But even the super Christians, beloved, didn't become that way by just walking up one day saying, hey, I think I'll go fight a giant. (laughs) You see, by the way, there are no super Christians. They're just obedient Christians and disobedient Christians, okay? But see, David was preparing long before he even knew that he was preparing. And God didn't expect him to take up sword fighting that day. He didn't expect him to pick up unfamiliar weapons to fight this giant. He expected him to use what he had. You know, there's an old admonition, go with what you know. That applies to us, beloved. God doesn't expect us when we're facing our giants to suddenly, you know, it sounds scary, doesn't it? You know, I'm sure that if, if somebody had told David, you know, six months earlier, you need to get ready, son, because there's a giant coming up here that you're going to have to fight. I mean, you know, who knows what he might have done? He might have been nervous. He'd about to say, well, I need to start practicing with my sword. I need to. But, you know, that wasn't what God intends for us to do. He intends for us to be faithful and he intends for us to do what we can with what we have where we are. Every preacher I know, everyone here tonight that's a preacher, if you're any kind of preacher at all, and I know you are, would say when God called them, when God called me into the ministry, I didn't say, boy, it's about time. I knew I've been qualified for years. I'm just waiting, Lord. I didn't think I was qualified. I thought I was absolutely un... In fact, I told, I told my brother so many excuses. I mean, I told him I was too busy. I didn't have enough... I even told him I was too fat one time. If you remember that, I said, man, I'm too fat to be a preacher. He said, you know how many fat Primitive Baptist preachers there are? <laughs> I decided to just come on down and join the ranks. (laughs) But I made all kinds of excuses. I'm not qualified. I still don't feel qualified. But praise God, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. (laughs) Praise God. That doesn't mean that we don't study, brother buddy. It doesn't mean we just, oh, well, the Lord will screw off the top of my head and pour a message in. No, it means we study to show ourselves approved unto God. We fill our water pots up to the brim, beloved. When they filled those water pots up that day at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, I could see some old servant saying, what are we doing this for? This is water. It's not going to do any good. Just, I don't want to keep carrying water. Let's just fill it halfway up. You know what would have happened if they had only filled them halfway up? They'd only had half of a cask of wine. But see, they did all they could do. And that's all God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to do His work. He calls us to do our work. Just fill the water pots up to the brim. Let God do the rest. (laughs) 
And that's what he's saying. He didn't call David to all of a sudden become a skilled swordsman. Saul tried to impose that on him. He put that armor on him and he tried to match armor for armor with Goliath. And it's the funniest sight I can think of in my mind is he put all this huge armor on him and he's trying to go and he's wobbling around like a weevil. You know, he just can't even move. He said, get this stuff off of me. Get this stuff off of me. I don't believe for a minute, by the way, that David believed that he could do anything with Goliath under his own power. See, his attitude toward his own aptitude was not that, hey, man, I got this. But I want you to listen to what his attitude was. In verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Isn't that what happened to the Israelites? They saw these giants and their hearts failed. He said, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But then he goes on to tell him some stories. These aren't made up stories either. There's no puffing here. There's no exaggeration going on here. David didn't start talking about all of his abilities. He said, look, I was out there, and this lion came, the bear came, I fought him, I killed him. He said in verse 36, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he's made me mad. Nope, that's not what it is. It ain't about him. Tell you, beloved, these giants you're facing, it's not about you. I realize the China virus, the pandemic may have come from somebody who intentionally released it. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't care. Because it was intentionally released by somebody. But the somebody I'm talking about is the devil. You know, I don't get into all the conspiracy theories. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, some of these are interesting and all that. There's a lot of conspiracy theories uh, floating around out there. A lot of people get real caught up in, oh, this thing's happening because somebody in China did this and somebody in Russia did that. Now, look, I... That's fine. I'm not saying don't ever look at them. Maybe that's something we need to know about sometime. But I know this. The only conspiracy I'm really worried about is the one that began in the Garden of Eden. When, When the devil conspired and successfully brought sin into this world and continues to conspire against God's people today. See, the devil hates us because he hates God. He knows he can't do anything to God, so he's going to get at us to try to hurt God. And let me tell you, beloved, he can get to you. He can't get to you eternally, praise God. But he can make you make shipwreck of your life. No, that's not what David didn't say. Look what he made me mad. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he had defied the armies of the living God. Now, that's what ought to get us fired up. That's what ought to get us excited and ready to fight the giants, not because we want to be a giant killer and not because uh, we're somehow have been offended by all this. Some of these things offend me, but I have to put that aside. But it's God that's been offended. It's God, the living God, who is, uh, who is at issue here, not you and I. And David said, moreover, this is his attitude here toward his, his aptitude. Moreover, the, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion... And out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And in the face of such faith, even Saul had to say, go and the Lord be with you. Notice this. 
God didn't expect David to pick up some unfamiliar weapons or to suddenly become an advanced sword master or to grow six feet. He just expected him to do, to do what he could with what he had right there where he was. David took a sling and some stones and he went out there and used what he knew to defeat this giant of a man. Look at the totally different outcomes here. In the case of the Israelites back in Numbers 13, you can read it sometime, but basically their, their attitude towards their aptitude condemned them to wander 40 years in the wilderness. Boy, that wasn't much altitude, was it? <laughs> Instead of ascending into the promised land like they should, they wallowed around in the dirt and the dust of the wilderness surrounding Canaan for 40 years, all because of their attitude towards their aptitude. But in the case of David, he went on to rule Israel as their greatest king, their greatest earthly king. He ascended to the throne of of Israel eventually. He he slew that giant. He won the battle that day uh, on behalf of all of the children of Israel. And he ascended as God had promised him to the rulership of Israel. And David could easily have looked around at all those other soldiers, including Saul, quaking in their boots. And said, what in the world can someone like me do? Surely they don't expect me to step up. Surely they don't expect me to face a giant and to, and to much less to win. <laughs> but you just remember this, beloved. One man or woman with God is a majority. Amen. You want to be part, you want to be an army? All you got to do is have God with you. One, there was, there was a time, Brother Tim wrote a song about it. There was a time when Elisha was out on the hillside there in Judea and the Assyrians came. They were so sick of Elisha because he was constantly messing up their plans because God was telling him, it's, you know, it's like the, I think he, the way he put it was the king said, I can whisper it in my bedchamber. And he goes and tells it publicly because God, God is telling him what's happening. But the Assyrians were against him and they surrounded this hillside. The Assyrians came and encircled his camp. And there was one little servant boy that went outside and he looked and I could just see that boy. His jaw dropped and his knees began to knock and he began to tremble in fear. And he, and he runs back in, Master, Master, we're surrounded. And that old prophet didn't, didn't jump up and start running around like a chicken with his head cut off saying, what in the world are we going to do? He just bowed his head and he said, first he said, son, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And he bowed his head and said, Lord, open his eyes and he may see. And those two men against thousands of soldiers, suddenly it was revealed to him that there was a whole army of angels encamped around them. Chariots of fire circling that hillside between them. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. One man with God is an army. David saw the challenge, and because he had the right attitude toward his own aptitude, using the right lens, the lens of God, and walking by faith and not by sight, he was able to defeat this giant, ultimately ascend the throne, and in fact, eventually be called by God a man after mine own heart.
All because he had the right attitude about his aptitude. Oh, beloved, may we have that attitude that we, though nothing in ourselves, though worms of the dust alone, yet with God, we can face any giant and defeat that giant through the power of God's own right hand. I appreciate your kind attention tonight.